seasons. Let me suggest that this book is little read, often quoted, but probably not well understood. Job lived at approximately the same time as Abraham, but his story is completely outside the story of Abraham in the first five books of the Bible, but is believed to be parallel. Some scholars would date it about the same time as Genesis 11 or 12. Job is acting as a priest for his family. Scripture tells us there was a man in the land of Uz named Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. It says he was the greatest man in the east, which means he was east of the Jordan. He is, on, he is of the Semitic people, a descendant of Shem, which means he is heir to some of the blessings given to Shem. He is extremely wealthy, and people come great distances for his counsel. The other three characters in the story obviously have a deep-seated relationship with him and have been in his council before. <coughs> the, fact, <coughs> the fact that he has made burnt offerings indicates at least an elementary understanding that his righteousness was a gift of God, and he understands something about grace. As a good man, as he was, he accepted the righteousness was gift based on faith. Immediately, the scene switches to the throne room of God and the presence of sons of God, which in the Old Testament means angelic host. Also, the adversary, Satan, is also present, as he is there, indicates that he has not yet been thrown down to earth. Satan, the prince of the air, is not bound to the earth until Revelation chapter 12. The Bible records Satan speaking three times. First in the garden, he accused God to man. Here in Job, he accuses man to God. And then in the desert, in Matthew, he attempts to accuse the man God. Always an accuser. There is a conversation between God and Satan where God holds out Job as a godly man. Satan says, well, you have patted his nest and he's in it just for the blessings you provide. So God gives permission to do anything but touch his body. Satan takes away all of his wealth, all of his family except his wife. And Job's response was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God taunts Satan. See, he lost everything, but he held fast to his integrity. Satan says, things can be replaced. Let me add his body to create real suffering. And God says, okay but you may not take his life. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, and I quote, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of pottery, which he scraped himself and, and set in ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one foolish woman would speak shall receive good from God and shall not receive evil. In all of this, Job did not sin with his mouth. End quote. Job has no support. We cannot, imit, we cannot imagine how awful it was. And in chapter 7, he says, my, my flesh is infested with worms and dirt. Chapter 16 speaks about pain in the kidneys, like a knife to slash them open 
In chapter 30, his skin is literally falling off in pieces. He is ostracized from the society. Young men who used to seek his counsel now mock him. He has to live in a garbage dump, and he has lost absolutely everything, materially, physically, and prestige. The condition goes on for months and months. The condition sets the stage for the remainder of the book. As his three longtime friends come support and counsel him, at the very end, there is a fourth young, fourth young man that makes an appearance. The story of suffering sets in a series of lengthy speeches by the three well-meaning friends and Job's responses. They come and sit for seven days without saying a word. And had they left it there, it probably would have been done some good. Job is in much pain, humiliated, and the worst of it, God seems to have left him. He tells God exactly how he feels and curses the day of his birth. There is a series of lengthy speeches by the three. Each time, there is a response from Job. There are some differences in their approach, but in the final analysis, all three espouse the same theology. God blesses the good, and God punishes the sinner. Therefore, Job, you must have sinned, and from the severity of your sufferings, it must have been a whopper. Through it all, Job steadfastly maintained, I have not sinned, and rejects their simplistic theology that suffering is always the direct result of sin. Job's creed has just been crushed. <clears throat> he knows God is good, he knows he is innocent, and he cannot put those two things together. But through it all, Job does not blame God, but maintains his faith. In chapter 9, 32, quote, For he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come together and trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both, end quote. Job keeps the proper perspective, and it highlights the importance of the coming role of Christ. Finally, in chapter 38 through 41, God lays 61 rhetorical questions on Job to show Job that he has not the slightest clue as to the nature of God. In chapter 42, Job says, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In response to this revelation, Job repents in dust and ashes for the complaints and accusations he has made against God. God then chastises Eliphaz and his two friends for their insistence about the sinfulness of Job and what God would do. God had Job pray for the three, and after they completed their sacrifices, God had directed. The Lord accepted Job's prayer and gave Job twice as much as he had before. <clears throat> Jesus was clear. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Sin or no sin, God's purposes are always constructive. For the righteous who suffer, the result will be that they will do without suffering. May the peace of Jesus fill your day.